Welcome to the tape ministry of Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, whose mission is to present everyone mature in Christ. It is our desire that the tapes of these services and messages from God's Word will touch lives deeply and encourage a closer walk with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. If you wish to contact the church for any reason, please phone us at 253-851-7779 or write us at Chapel Hill Presbyterian Church, Post Office Box 829, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Now may God richly bless you as you join the people of Chapel Hill in worshiping the Lord and listening to the good news of Jesus Christ. too, because we are approaching the end of the millennium. It's countdown time, four weeks or so and counting. Hard to believe. And the book of John's Revelation has a lot to do with end times, talking about things as they will appear in the unfolding of the last days of the earth. But now we are in Advent, and it might be worth asking, why should we continue in the book of Revelation in Advent? I mean, what does Revelation and Advent have, have to do with anything? After all, Advent is the time when we anticipate the coming of Jesus. Advent is the time for children and for Christmas carols and for bells and all of the rest of the things that make it such a wonderful time. What does Advent have to do with the Revelation? Well, I would argue actually quite a bit. In fact, the text that we are in right now, I think, set us up perfectly for the coming of Christmas. For we are spending... Advent season in what we are calling a Christmas message for a new millennium out of chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation. And last week we had our introduction to this in the first, in our first of our Advent series. Pastor Stewart led us through that glorious chorale, that hymn to the glory of God that we find in chapter 4. Even if you weren't here last week for this sermon, you know the text because every time we sing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, we are quoting this text. You remember it, don't you? It's entire chapter 4 of Revelation that we looked at. A door is opened and John has a chance to, to move inside of the heavenlies. And when he comes inside that, uh, that place, he discovers a sight that, well, it's almost beyond description. It is a sight of light and sound and creatures that he has seen and creatures he has never seen before. There's a throne and seated on the throne is someone, but we can't tell who it is. Emanating from that throne is... It's like a a rainbow, and yet it is all in green, shades of greens, the color of life. Around this throne are are 24 other thrones, and seated on those thrones are are 24 elders, all clothed in white, the, the the cloth of purity, the cloth of martyrdom, the cloth of glory. And in front of the throne are four creatures like we have never seen before. They are the brightest and best of all of creation. You see a lion, the king of the beast. You see an ox. You see the man. You see the eagle, the king of the sky. But these have wings on them, many wings on them. And and these animals are covered with eyes, indicating that they, they don't miss a beat. They don't miss a thing. And these creatures call out praise to the Lord. And every time they do, the elders rise up and then they bow down before God. And it says that these creatures were created for all of eternity to praise this God who sits on the throne. And so we have this almost inconceivable image of color and light and movement and glory all pointing to one thing. For John is introducing us to the really critical understanding of the meaning of Christmas. 
it is the critical theme of Scripture. For if you don't understand this theme, you don't understand the rest of the story of Christmas. And that is the utter holiness of God. When we see Revelation 4, we are, we are doing our best to, to take a glimpse of the utterly holy, pure, righteous, glorious God. The God who is worthy of praise by all of his creation for all of time. The God who is so worthy and truly worthy, only one that is worthy of the word awesome, that creatures have actually been created from the beginning of creation just to sing his praises. Glory and honor and power are due to you, O God, for you created all things and by your will they have their being. And so on and on go the pans of praise, the, the songs of praise to this God who sits on the throne because he is holy, utterly pure, utterly righteous, utterly good, deserving of every word of praise and glory that has ever been sung around him. That's the glimpse that we get of God when we turn to Revelation 4. That's the chorale that is being sung about this God that we worship. He is a God who is holy, just, pure, good. And then we discover some bad news. For the minute we discover the holy God, the minute we see God as he is, as Revelation 4 tries to reveal him to be to us, the minute we are brought face to face with a holy God, we are also brought face to face with our own hopelessness. Because what truck do we, who are sinful beings, have to do with a holy God? How can we, who are the sinful creation of this holy God, dare to come into his presence, much less stand before him? And so we are on the horns of a dilemma. And that is a perfect Christmas story. Holiness of God and of the hopelessness that we find ourselves in when we are standing before that holy God and we don't know what to do. That's exactly what our text talks about now. As we turn to our brief text for the morning, Revelation chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Hear now the word of God. In fact, it is so short, let us read it together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. And now, O oh God, would you unroll those things to us? Would you reveal to us those things that have been hidden? Allow our hearts to see the things you want us to see. And in so doing, catch a glimpse of the holy God and discover his grace towards us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A week ago, we had the chance to do something we've never done before. We went down to Cindy's family in Salt Lake City and spent, uh, spent Thanksgiving there. I shared that with you last week. What I didn't tell you was that we had the chance on the day after Thanksgiving to go to downtown Salt Lake. That is when they reveal all of the decorations. All of the lights go on, and they are glorious, really. And something else special happens which is, uh, which, for which they are renowned. There is a huge department store called ZCMI. And there are so many windows in that department store that I, don't even know, I couldn't even count them. I, I didn't try and I would have forgotten if I had tried. 
And ZCMI is famous for on the day after Thanksgiving, they unveil these beautiful windows. And inside each of these windows are all of their wonderful wares, but they are displayed in Christmas settings that are breathtakingly beautiful to behold. In fact, even though we got down there uh, early on the day after Thanksgiving and had dinner and walked downtown, we were already too late for there were lines of thousands of people who were lined up to make their way around the ZCMI department store just to look in the windows. If you don't know me, you may not know this, but if you know me, you can imagine that me and lines just don't work. And so the idea of standing in line to look into a department store window didn't cut it. But I did stand on the other side, and I watched because I was amazed at, at really the marketing of it, the wonder of it. But I was also amazed to watch the families as they were leading their children. Some children were breath, I mean, they were just awestruck and looking into the windows. Others of them were crying because what they saw inside those windows was they wanted and of course, they couldn't have it. The more they looked, the more they were thunderstruck and they, and they wanted to get their hands on it. They wanted to touch it. They wanted to have it. And of course, the parents were saying, no, you cannot have it. And there was this great big glass in between them that made sure that even if the parents weren't certain, the store was certain that they couldn't have it. I think we get a glimpse of that very idea in our text this morning. For John has had a glimpse of something that is glorious. He's had a chance to look inside the window of heaven. And he's seen a glimpse of something that is, is pure glory. And he wants more and suddenly he discovers he can't have it. The throne room is filled with colors and with lights and strange, strange creatures. And, and, and when he looks closer, he realizes that in the hand of the one who sits upon the throne, who still is never described, he sees something. And that something is a scroll. It is a, it is a scroll that has writing apparently on the inside, but certainly on the outside, for he can see the writing on the outside. But the scroll is sealed with seven seals. Now, what does this scroll represent? I believe we are led to understand that the scroll is the unfolding of human history. In the hand of God is, is written, is held, the unfolding of all of creation, all of human history. This is how things are going to go. This is the rest of the story. John has a, a glimpse of this, and he figures it out. And so we begin to develop in, with John a sense of anticipation. He can't wait to hear what's written inside of this scroll. He wants to know the rest of the story. He's seen this glorious God. He's seen creation bowing down to him. And now he sees the scroll, and he says, Ah, I want that too. I want to know what is in that too. And so eagerly he looks around, waiting for the scroll to be read. Indeed, an angel appears. Another angel appears. And begins to ask, who will read the scroll? Who will unroll the scroll? And suddenly we are faced with this horrible silence, for no one answers the call. The angel says, who is worthy? Who is worthy to, un to break the seals and to unroll the scroll? Who is worthy to, to reveal the rest of the history of humankind? Who, who will tell us the future? And this horrible silence prevails. And John suddenly is stricken with the reality. No one is going to step forward and take this scroll. No one is going to break the seals. No one is going to give me the, the rest of the story. And we have this poignant emotional moment for John. In the midst of an emotional book, this is the moment when John breaks down. He can't take it anymore. And the text says he weeps. And it, and it, gives us, it, it makes it clear to us he, he convulses in, in weeping. He doesn't just cry tears. He, it says, I wept. And I wept because there was no one there 
who was worthy to open the scroll. John is inconsolable because of the hopelessness that he feels, that having seen a glimpse of God and having a chance to, to see the rest of the story, to understand what God's purpose is for the world, suddenly he realizes there is no one who is worthy to open the scroll and tell the story. There is no one there who can give John the rest of God that he desires for. And he weeps. He breaks down. You cannot understand the happiness of Christmas unless you understand the hopelessness that precedes Christmas. We all want to jump into the good news. We all want to jump into the announcement of the angels to the shepherds. Good news, great joy for unto us is born this day in the city of David a, a child who is Christ the Lord. A child is born. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. That's good news and we are eager to jump to that. But before that moment, there were centuries of silence. Before that moment, there were centuries of people who were waiting for good news. And it was centuries of hopelessness in many cases. Centuries of exile. Centuries where people forgotten, felt like they had been forgotten by God. Centuries where there was not a word spoken from God. Centuries of people waiting for something, for anything, from this glorious God of creation. But there was no one to bring the good news. There was no one to break the seals and to open the scroll. Do you understand this? People had had glimpses of God. They saw God in the glory of creation when they looked at a Mount Rainier or they saw towering firs that they looked at the glory of the Puget Sound. Oh, they said there must be a God behind that. People had, had heard snippets of, of God from his prophets, Abraham and Moses and others who told us that there was a God and there was something more that we ought to see. People even had a testimony from deep within their own hearts. Each of us has this sense of oughtness, this sense of urging that says, oh, there must be something more than this. There must be something beyond what I see, something beyond myself. And so we are drawn to that otherness, that godness that we know must be there. But these are only glimpses. They are only snippets as it is. It is as if we look through a, a window and, and we can't touch it, but we know what's there. There has to be something more. The cry of the human heart has been down through the centuries into this present poet. There must be something more than what we see. John is absolutely heartbroken because no one can be found who is worthy to break the seals and read the scroll. He wants to know what is in God's hands. He wants to know what is in the future. He has had a glimpse of God, a taste of his glory, and he wants to know more. And he is so close, he can see the scroll, he can almost taste the scroll. And it is covered with God's story, plain for the world to see, and yet there is no one to read it, and so he weeps in despair. I think there are two things to be drawn, at least two things. There are many things that we could draw from this text, two that I want to try to draw on this communion Sunday morning. First, I want us to see John's wonderful, desperate hunger to know more of God. John despaired because having seen a vision of God, he wanted to know more. He wanted to see more. And it appeared that he would not be able to because no one was found who could accomplish the task for him. No one was found who could introduce him to the more that was there to be known. He was desperate. Would that we would have a passion to know more of the God that we have discovered. Frankly, we are all rather blasé about the whole thing. Even at Christmas time, we love the decorations and we love the presents and we love the celebrations. We love the music. We love the children. 
But we have experienced all of these, and at the end of a few weeks, it is enough. We have had our fill, and we are ready to move on to next year and to more stuff. Wouldn't it be something if one year, maybe this year, wouldn't it be something if the wonder of the whole thing captured us, broke through, and grabbed our souls? Wouldn't it be something if we were sailing along through the four weeks of Advent and suddenly, wham, we, we caught a glimpse of the holiness of God. We caught a glimpse of the, of the vision of the glory of the angels singing praises to Him and we found our own souls crying out, oh, more, more. I want to see more of this God. I want to, to know more of Him. I want to hear what else He has to say to me. Wouldn't that be great? John was moved to tears because he wanted to know all that God had for him to know and he thought he might be left out. Wouldn't it be something if we found ourselves moved to the point of tears to know more of this glorious God of Christmas? Do not be satisfied with the trappings and the tinsel. Do not be satisfied with the music. Do not be satisfied with the picture windows of Christmas this year. Seek more. Weep for more. Desperately desire more from God. There's something else here. Perhaps we need to learn to live in the tension of unknowing. There are times in life when the scroll is rolled up and we just don't know what it is that is coming next. God knows, but we don't, and He's not telling. And we find ourselves living in the tension of unknowing. Nana Peggy, Cindy's mom, has a wonderful tradition that she has started for our children and for other grandchildren. Uh, she wraps up tw- 24 little packages, one for each day of the month leading up to Christmas. They're tiny little things, nothing is substantive to them, but they are each one individually and preciously wrapped, 12 of them for Cooper, 12 of them for Rachel. And each day of December, leading up to Christmas Eve, they in turn take one package and open it up kind of spreads out the Christmas celebration for them. This is the first year that Cooper has really gotten into the whole present thing. Up until now, you know, it's like, okay, whatever. He's, he's had enough after the first couple of presents. Now he cannot get enough of it. And the other day I was sitting at the table, and Cooper's got his presents piled up in one pile, and Rachel's in another pile. And Cooper went over one at a time, picked up the piles, and brought them to me and said, is this Cooper's? I said, yes, this is Cooper's. Took it back. Picked up the next one. Is this Cooper's? Yes, it's Cooper's. Went through that 12 times. And of course, each time he says, can we open it, Daddy? I said, we can't open it right now. We'll open it tomorrow. You can't open it. You've got to wait. Cooper is having a hard time living in the tension of unknowing. And you understand that because you, have, you are there too. And many of you right now are living in the tension of unknowing. You have a medical test that has been done and you're waiting for the result. That moment between the, the time between the test and the word, that's the tension of unknowing. I was talking to one yesterday who has got some word that came back that's not so great about his heart. And that, you don't want to hear that. That's not a great Christmas story. And so he's in the living in unknowing. Maybe it, it is in this time when it seems focused on families and marriage, you are single and you are wondering if God forgot you when he was handing out the spouses. You would love to be married and you're waiting for it and you are living in the tension of not knowing if that's part of what God has for you. Maybe it's that kid of yours, that one kid that you, has been something of a challenge to you and you love him, 
but he is making some bad choices and you are so fearful for how his life is going to turn out and you cannot see the end of the story and in the moment you are living in the tension of unknowing. There are many times, so many times in life when we want to rip open the scroll and take a peek. Just take a peek at who cares whether I'm worthy to to take the seals off or not. i got to know what's coming. And God says, no. You're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to make do until I have shown you what you need to know. The rest will come to you in time. We all wonder what the scroll says. We all wonder what the future holds, especially as we approach the end of this year, the end of the millennium, Y2K, and all of that. We all wonder what the millennium holds. But we don't know what the future holds. But to, to use an overused phrase, we know who holds the future. Because it is there in the text. It is there in his right hand, that scroll. It is God who holds the future. And he is trustworthy. And in the meantime, in the tension of unknowing, as we wait for things to be revealed, we simply learn to trust. This morning we come to communion, a wonderful juxtaposition of images. At a time when we celebrate birth, we talk about death. And we realize this was a baby who was born to die. At the end of every time that we offer the words of institution, we hear these same words which remind us of what this text is talking about. For we say, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he come. We are living in the tension of unknowing right now. We are living as ones who know that Jesus has come and we are waiting for the Messiah to come again. And in the middle, in the in-between time, we proclaim Christ We live in faithfulness to him until he comes again. I invite you now to the Lord's Supper. All who love Jesus and are sorry for their sins, all who want Christ to be the Lord of their life are invited to this table. You do not need to be a Presbyterian. You need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are, you are more than welcome. Let us prepare our hearts now for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Listen to these words that we have heard perhaps hundreds of times before. The Apostle Paul writes, I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way after the supper, the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood as often as you drink of it do so remembering me so that whenever we drink from this cup or eat this bread we proclaim the death of our Lord until he comes again and now we offering we offer to you this bread and this juice common elements but we offer to them that by the prayer of faith they might become for us the body and blood of Christ and that in partaking of them, we might find nourishment for our souls. Let us pray. 
Holy Christ, we thank you for the supper which is before us. And we pray now, O Lord, that you would be present in it. That what is just bread and juice, common elements, would be set aside for a holy purpose. And that somehow in the gathering together of your people around this table and the partaking of this food, we might find ourselves strengthened. Thank you for all who have partaken of this feast down through the centuries. Thank you for the brothers and sisters which are ours in Jesus Christ. And now, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us and grant us your peace. For we offer these prayers in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, Amen. We will receive by intention. You will stand up, move to the right of your pews and up. You'll take a piece of bread, retain the bread, and move to the cup. Dip the cup, partake of it, and remove and return to your seat. If you cannot stand, there will be people roving around who will serve you in your place. Now let us come to the table of God.